Hi everybody, I'm Jim Ford. And I'm Chad Bokelman. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 146. Oh yeah, we got the zero issues. <laughs> Finally. Just like, yeah, like, what are you at? Like, uh, maybe two months after these actually came out? Yeah. <laughs> On the plus side, I have the, uh, the list for where they sold for the top 100. <laughs> <laughs> Oh great! Well, that's yeah, that's good news. I mean, I guess if we we wait long enough, we we will have that data like that. <laughs> uh, sorry, guys, but uh, you know, if you want things like interviews from New York Comic Con or Austin Comic Con, you're gonna have to wait for the regular reviews. <laughs> yeah, and they're all they're all saying it's like yeah, but we don't we don't want those interviews. <laughs> uh, I do. <laughs> You know, it's hysterical because, like, on the one hand, it's taken us this long to get to the issue zeros, but by the same token, it's like, you know, we still have been putting out episodes, and it's just that we've had so many episodes in the can. (laughs) Oh, man. Finally getting to new stuff. And by new, I mean two months old. So, uh, we got zero month. Huzzah. Yeah. This is the month where they go back and, uh, well, some of the issues go back and tell a story that happened before issue one, and some issues just told a story. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, like, what do you feel, like, as far as how it was, was handled across the board? I think it was a cool idea, just another way for people to get to get more people to jump on and read some more comics. I, right, but I mean, like, you know, do you think that, you know, since they had all these zero issues, do you think that it was, you know, would have been a better idea to make them all, like, um... Origin stories? Yeah, or because they didn't really do a lot of origin stories once they restarted. Like, they created a lot of jumping on points, but they basically said, okay, well, you know, we're going to start here at issue one, and maybe down the road we'll actually tell an origin yeah. for a lot of the books. You know, so they actually could have done origin stories and not be rehashing, you know, what they had done in the previous twelve issues. Yeah, that would have been better. But I mean, it worked in some ways. Like, for instance, I tried Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man number zero. Yeah. And that book has been sucking pretty steadily before that point. So. It's a much better book now, I promise. <laughs> uh, your well, cries fall on deaf ears. Well, Dan Jurgens is writing it first and foremost. And um, the uh, the original Firestorm is back now, so there's not like an ass ton of Firestorms. Jason and Ronnie aren't just one Firestorm. They're now the, you know, one's the body, one's the mind kind of thing. Right. The original style's back, which, thank God. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, my view on that is, like, it's it's really nice that they went back to that, but for mm-hmm. me, like, they kind of poisoned the well with the first 12 issues. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, I, I'm, you know, Dan Jurgens might be, you know, he probably is writing an amazing comic, you know, knowing Jan, Dan Jurgens, but it's just, like, with that 12 issues of just, like, you know, mess... 
I mean, unless they said that that was in an alternate universe and none of it actually happened, <laughs> it's still there haunting the past. Yeah, I gotcha. But the Zero brought us a lot of good things, like Phantom Stranger number Zero. <laughs> that was interesting. Like, that was cool because, you know, you actually got an idea of what Phantom Stranger's mission was. Mm, yeah. So welcome to the Phantom Stranger podcast, people. Finally yeah. here. Jim and I are going to talk about issue zero and maybe like Sword of Sorcery because that's kind of cool. You know, I have that issue, but I have not gotten to read it yet. It's a good issue. I read uh, I read all the Green Lantern zeros. I read Phantom Stranger zero and uh, Justice League zero. And I liked... Let's see. Did I like everything that I read? I read like I liked most of what I read. Uh, I'll say that. And on that note, let's go into Green Lantern number zero. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. <laughs> okay, so uh, they introduce us to uh, the new Green Lantern of Earth, Simon Baz. Um, it starts off on 9-11, uh, oddly enough, with Simon Baz as a kid. He's uh, watching the Twin Towers you know, be taken down. Um, which is really interesting because they're like sitting on the couch, like watching this, like as it's happening, like you know that morning, they were all just sitting around the TV, and watching, mm-hmm. which is odd. But um, regardless, the rest of his family is all you know crying and sad, and he's just kind of like you know sitting there watching. You know, then it it kind of shows like him growing up, and you know facing the the racism. You know, having to clean off the uh, the graffiti off the Islamic Center, and then getting into fights because he's, you know, I guess Muslim. Um, you know, and then later on facing the uh, what do you call it? The random safety checks at the the airport. You know, so-called random. And then now we go to present day, and he's stealing cars. <laughs> and it turns out that the car that he just stole has a giant bomb in it. And uh, he calls his sister, you know, tells her, you know, listen, you know, I love you. Look in the uh, safety deposit box. This isn't what it looks like, but whatever's in the box is yours now. Take it for your, you and your your son. And then he uh, proceeds to drive this van into uh, an abandoned building. I guess it was a factory. And uh, bomb goes off. Cops arrest him. Next thing you know it, uh, three days later, He's in Guantanamo Bay, and they're questioning him, trying to find out, you know, what kind of uh, terrorist attack this is. They really think that he's a terrorist attack, you know, and he's just like, no, I'm just a car thief. He's just a car thief, and they point out that he has this this tattoo on his arm called, you know, for courage, even though they're forbidden in uh, Islam. Um... You know, so he's he keeps on denying it. There's some shady stuff with the government officials. They really want this information out of him. So finally, they're gonna, I guess, do some kind of like you know torture techniques. To, and as they're about to uh, latch him to a table, you know, he starts fighting back. He's like, "I told you everything I know. I told you everything I know." And uh, you know, they break in. They're you know beating him down, and you know they hold a gun to his head. It's like, you know, if you move, I'm going to kill you. And at that moment, a Green Lantern ring comes and breaks him out. 
um, yeah, claims him as a Green Lantern, and uh, he's out of there with a bolt of green. Then you have a quick little panel. Uh, Amanda Waller is, uh, she wants to know everything there is to know about Simon Baz. Batman and Cyborg are uh, having a little conversation about it too, apparently, because they intercepted the signal. And uh, next thing you know it, he's somewhere on the ground, passed out. And there's a message waiting, which is the message probably that Hal inputted after, you know, once before he, uh, he died. And uh, then the epilogue, you have Hal and Sinestro in kind of like a shadowy, most likely the afterlife kind of scene. It's called the dead zone. The dead zone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, in the solicits for upcoming issues of Green Lantern, they call they say, you know, what happened to Hal and Sinestro in the dead zone? Okay. Yeah. Sure, we'll go with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm. So, uh, yeah, now car thieves can become Green Lanterns. Apparently. Yep. Uh, I do like that they, uh, you know, really showcased uh, what it's like for, or what it was like for uh, a Muslim American during that time frame. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it. I don't know if transitioning automatically from that to stealing a car is the best idea. Right. <laughs> yeah, and not for nothing, but he steals a car that just happened to have a bomb in it. Mm-hmm. Which he and, didn't know. Yeah, no, he didn't know, but you know, like if there's like a thousand cars, you know, parked in a parking lot. You steal the one that has a bomb in it? Mm. I mean, that's kind of weird. And then you have him getting questioned at most likely Guantanamo Bay or something like that. Um, I mean, I thought it was awful. Yeah, yeah. I, I like, I, it's like... I like the art. I mean, in this, in this, which is new for me to say because... Uh, typically in my mind, uh, you know, I, you, again, props to, you know, uh, Doug Monkey all, all around, but it, well, usually when he draws scenes on earth, I don't like it. Um, he has to be drawing aliens or space stuff going on for me to really flip out or something super dark and evil. Like for instance, um, you know, uh, black hand, the black hand, all black hand issue, uh, before blackest night. But this one really takes place in a very dark setting, like it's all at night or in in um, Guantanamo Bay or you know anything like that. So so it really helped me to not be sucked out by uh, the way Doug Monkey portrays Earth scenes. Yeah, no, I mean I had no problem with the art. the The art I thought was really good. I mean I always think it's you know it's great. Um, but no, like. The whole story premise is just like, you know, how do you give a Green Lantern ring to somebody who's stealing cars? I mean, like, the the whole premise of a Green Lantern ring is that it's somebody who can overcome great fear and is honest, you know? Yeah. Like, those are the two things. How can you be honest and steal cars? Like, how can you be somebody who's going to fight for good and steal cars? 
I, I mean, like, are they going with the whole fact that it's like, oh, I was stealing cars so that my sister could buy food for her son? I mean, like, seriously? That's what you're going with? Like a modern-day Aladdin? Come on. Well, I think the reason he's chosen for a Green Lantern ring is only explained in one word of the entire book. Okay. Error? Simon Baz, yeah, Simon Baz of Earth, you have the error ability to overcome great fear. <laughs> so you're saying that him getting a ring was an error? No. I'm saying it's an error to the ring's programming. Let me find the issue. Uh, you continue talking. I will find the issue and explain my my theory. Okay. I mean, the, the whole the whole idea is that when they announced that they were having a Muslim Green Lantern, you know, or they didn't even announce that it was a Muslim, you know, a, a Muslim Green Lantern. They just said that here's the new Green Lantern, and he had Islamic writing on on his arm. So. You know, my biggest fear was that they were going to create a character who's like, you know, where his religion is actually key to his story. Because that's like, that was like the one thing that I did not want. It's the one thing that I've really enjoyed about Green Lantern thus forward. You know, no religion Mm -hmm. in my comics. Now you have religion, you have religious persecution. It's like, I don't know, I there's one thing about writing a comic about social inequality and social, you know, so- social stuff like that. But by the same token, like, was Denny O'Neill ever writing comics where he had to invoke religion? No, because he didn't need to. Exactly. No, not because, not because he didn't feel the need to. It's because he didn't feel the need to because it wasn't there. For the most part, not in that time period. Think about it now. For instance, um, uh, I have no problem admitting I, I, I was raised Christian, Lutheran to be precise. Um, and um, some of those things I still hold to, but not all of them. For, you know, for instance, you know, um, the, the, where I stand on the, the gay marriage issue and the abortion issue is not necessarily what was, it, what's in line with what I was raised to believe. Um, but growing up in the church in, you know, kind of exposing myself to that, I've kind of seen from other people, their ignorance and, um, and, uh, hatred concerning all things, even specifically Christian. I'm not going to, I'm not about to say I'm being persecuted because I think that's a little bit of a strong word, strong of a word that's more applicable to somebody, um, going through a severe situation like the Jews during World War II or you know um, the Chinese during the world, mo- world uh, the Japanese during World War Two, yeah, them too, yeah, uh, and uh, but I've noticed, um, for instance, you go online and let's say we're reading anything uh, concerning science. Let's say they talk found a new uh, link in the quote, quote unquote evolutionary chain between humans and apes, or let's say there's an article on religion. No matter where you are, scroll down into the comics comments section. Somebody will just start lashing out and say something about, I cannot believe how ignorant Christians are. I mean, how stupid do you have to be to believe this stuff? Blah, blah. And they just lash out at everyone in general, like, like a complete grand sweeping statement. And 
I've experienced that. Uh, people, because you know, I live in Austin. It's a very uh, liberal town. It's a blue dot in a red state. I have college friends and stuff who, um, you know, who I I don't really advertise that I was raised as Christian because some of them I think might be uh, might uh, hold a grudge, or I've seen hold a grudge against Christians, and for that matter, people like um, the Westboro Baptist Church. They're the ones who protest soldiers' funerals. They're the ones who are outside um, uh, various uh, protesting events. Uh, for instance, they protested San Diego Comic-Con the other year. They're the ones you see holding the signs to say, uh, God hates fags, things like that. Um, people believe, uh, just because of their hatred of Christianity, that that's what all Christians are like. And uh, I think... I think it's a big social issue, it, at least to me, it's become a bigger social issue in recent years because of the grand sweeping statements people make. And for my direct experience regarding Christianity, and I've seen it with, with other friends who are of different religions, um, who get persecuted simply because they believe in a cosmic being of some sort, uh, regardless of whether they're Buddhist or Muslim or um, I know some people who are Mormon, uh, that kind of thing. So... I think it's a bigger social issue now than it ever was in the 70s because it's more of a scientific time. And I think it's okay for someone like Jeff Johns to tackle the social implications of being a Muslim in this time period uh, and, and what that is. But if, after, after portraying him as going through the persecution he did following, following 9-11 and even now, um, currently with him being locked up in Guantanamo and so on and so forth, uh I think it's okay as long as they don't um, make the religion in the issue so much as the persecution, uh, and and even that kind of fades away, you know, because this is a late episode, so we've read future issues. Even that kind of fades away a little bit, you know. But th then again, that's Jeff John's storytelling. He tells stories slow, basically for the trade. So this is going to be more drawn out in a single issue to you or me than it is to the to the trade reader who's just reading an overarching story arc. Where because you know like Denny O'Neill and Green uh, and Neil Adams and Green Lantern Green Arrow, they dealt with this stuff in one and done issues for the most part, except for like the drug storyline and everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think when you when you're dealing with it like that, where mm. at the end of an issue, you know you can close the book on the issue. Like, you've dealt with the story. It's a lot different than drawing it out because it's like, right now, it's like, they basically, you know, they burn you with a hot ember and it's not going to be until like six months later where all of a sudden they put a Band-Aid on the wound. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. And not that I'm saying that this is anything like that, but like, what I'm saying is that you can't, you know, you can't just introduce something like this and, you know, that's going to rile everybody up and then wait half a year before you finally, you know, put a conclusion on it and say, oh, wait, no, he, you see, it's actually okay that he was stealing that car or kind of thing, you know, or whatever, you know, to try and justify that. Um, you know, I mean, like, if, if it comes to the point where, like, you know, oh, six months later, they're going to write a story about how, Oh, it turns out that he was an undercover cop and he was doing this because he, you know, had an assignment or something like that. I don't know. Like, you know, they're probably not going to do that. But when you take six months to tell that story, 
you know, it's you you have a much much bigger opportunity to kick fans away. You know what I mean? <clears throat> yeah, and and the reason it chose him, and I, I was looking for this the entire time we were talking. And Green Lantern Annual number one, as Hal and Sinestro are being sucked into the dead zone, their rings start erroring out basically because they think that Hal and Sinestro are dying. And I'll read you the two panels applicable here. Uh, they think we're dying. Hal says, are we? Sinestro says, if we are, my ring must find someone like me. If the ring chooses whoever the Guardians want them to, Hal interrupts, not you. Me. Your motivations are, Sinestro, for the good of the universe. They're twisted, Sinestro. Don't don't struggle, Jordan. We can't we can't leave this up to you. Our rings will fuse back into one. We have one chance, one message to leave. So I think it's erroring out and it's it's finding a Green Lantern based on the motivations and qualifications that both Hal Jordan and Sinestro possess yeah no absolutely the, the mix the the mixing of those two motivations and the types of people those guys are leads it to a criminal. Baz. <laughs> a criminal yes I, yeah it just a criminal who's not who's not you can't you can't compare him to sinestro but you can't compare him to hal either he's like a middle ground between hal and sinestro yeah i i, I don't i don't necessarily that's know how i see that. it um, yeah, I mean, the other thing is that he's basically facing, like, you know, every stereotypical thing that, you know, uh, of the worst of what somebody who is Muslim would have to go through. You know, like, like, he doesn't get any breaks between having to clean the graffiti of others, getting into fights to protect his sister, and getting checked at the airport. And then getting interrogated at Guantanamo Bay. I mean, like, that's... Is there anything that would be worse? I mean, and the fact that he's stealing cars, I mean, is that to imply that because he was Muslim, nobody wanted to hire him for a job? Yeah, that's true. Wouldn't that, which doesn't even make sense to me because, I mean, I'm pretty sure there is a decent-sized population of Muslim in Michigan. So, I mean, it's not like he's surrounded by lots of, you know, people that aren't Muslim. Yeah. Um, I mean, my facts might be a little wrong on that, but I am almost positive that there is, like, a sizable population over there. You know, almost like how we have, uh, you know, like Little Italy or something like that. I'm pretty sure they have communities like that in Michigan. Um, mm. and I think, what is it, Jeff Johns is, uh, Lebanese or partial Lebanese and he's from Michigan. So, I mean, he's definitely drawing on experience to some extent, but I don't know. I mean, obviously they wanted a character who was going to be, you know, this kind of rogue character. But I think some of the choices made, it, it doesn't it doesn't reflect well on a hero, and it definitely doesn't reflect well on a Green Lantern. 
Mm. Yeah. You know, you would think that with all his rage, maybe he'd get a red ring instead. Oh, I thought, I th- I'm sorry, I thought he was being recruited or told to steal cars by someone. Uh, he's just stealing cars. Yeah, because in, in issue 13, he, you know, and I don't want to jump ahead and cover too much, but just one panel, he's talking to his sister, and she says, you've been stealing cars. I know it was stupid. It was cars no one would miss. It was only until I got another job. You you needed money. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, so. like, that's, that's a crappy justification. Yeah. Cars that nobody would miss. <laughs> like, what is that? And they talk. They talk earlier in the the issue. Uh, Amanda Waller and another individual to talk about um, how his only priors on his record are street racing. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the street racing I can see as being from Hal Jordan. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm. I I mean I hope it gets better. I really do. I hope I hope that that's not you know as played up as it is in the future books. No, it's not. I mean they it, it's an origin story of a main title Green Lantern, so it's going to be stretched out for an for another issue or two. But once they you know, once they deal with it, for instance, the way Jeff Johns deals with um, Aquaman's um, unpopularity in the Aquaman series, it goes on for an issue, two, three, and then it's strictly action from there on. So it, I think it's going to be the same type of deal here. Okay. All right. Yeah. Buy, borrow, pass. Borrow. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, low borrow. I'd, I'd agree with that. Or maybe just a borrow. For a zero, for a zero issue, it should have done more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, without a doubt. Hmm. Yeah, and then that—that's the other thing. I mean, as far as a zero issue goes, this didn't. This didn't hook me. Like, I'm going to keep reading Green Lantern because I read Green Lantern. It's just just the way it is for me. But, I mean, you know, if I was a new reader, I don't necessarily know that this would hook me at all. Yeah, I, I agree with that. All right, so Green Lantern Corps? Um, before we do that, we have some notes from Dan. Oh, yes, we do. So, I'm just getting to that, and... Okay, for Dan, Green Lantern was a pass. He wrote, Not too long ago, DC introduced introduced us to the first prominently gay Green Lantern, and they did it by making his sexuality a part of his character without it being the driving force of his character or storyline. Now that they've decided to introduce us to the first prominent Muslim Green Lantern, they've done the exact opposite. From page one, panel one, they made this about terrorism in America, and I'm disappointed. Yes, this is an avenue they'd probably need to explore sooner or later anyway, but leading with it just reinforces the idea that this character is the token Muslim. I want to get to know Simon Baz in a way that fleshes him out as a person. Simon Baz, suspected terrorist, is a story that I don't give a crap about, and I do not want to read what comes next. 
I'm going to go read Aquaman now because I prefer good Jeff Johns. Oh, and he also makes a point of pointing out. Also, did you guys notice that this issue came out the day after September 11th? Classy. I did not notice that. Yeah. Really echoes a lot of your sentiments in there. Yeah. All right, Green Lantern Corps number zero. Sounds good. Speaking of origin stories, the origin, New 52 origin of Guy Gardner. Uh, written by Peter J. Tomasi, art by Fernando Pissarin, uh Inks, I believe, by Scott Hanna. Colors by Mark Deering. Is that right? Um, sounds good. No, Scott, Scott Hanna and Mark Deering are both inkers. Yeah. Colorist is Gabe uh, LTA or whatever. Yeah. All right. Yep. So we open up um, on a planet, uh, a training outpost in Sector 3599. Uh, Guy Gardner, as a rookie, with a bunch of other rookies, are basically being slaughtered uh, as they're fighting some unseen force. Um, And pretty soon Guy's the only one left standing. And he gets... uh, you know, shoved in the dirt by this uh, this guy. I believe we saw him last issue. Um, and uh, there's yeah, uh, I forgot his name. Um, he was in the last but issue. We've, I think so. Um, uh, yeah, I believe so. Um, and um, we flash uh, immediately back to three months prior at the Baltimore Police Academy. Where um, his, I believe it's his sister. Mm-hmm. Yes, his his sister is graduating from the police academy. Now her brother's already a member of the police academy. And um, Guy uh, is part of uh, part of this, you know, new little nuclear family. Uh, and he uh, is hanging out with his friend Marcus, and they're all just kind of catching up and everything. It's uh, obvious that um, his, his, Guy's little sister. Um, is really the only one that loves him um, that much. Uh, her, his dad is very indifferent uh, and outwardly so. Um, and his brother is just kind of uh, the middle ground, I think. Loves his brother but thinks he's a jerk kind of a thing. Um, and uh, let's see... Um, Guy ends up going to visit his father. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to remember what happened without having to read all of this crap ton of text again. <laughs> uh, Green Lantern Corps is notoriously the wordy of the the more wordy of the four uh, GL titles. Um, but anyway, uh, Guy goes to visit his father um, at, at night, uh, and uh, he's kind of trying to, I guess, make a kind of a peace offer, trying to offers dad some tickets so they can go watch a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his dad turns him down. You can see that there's a lot of pictures of uh, Guy's sister and brother and, the, you know, the, the strong line of policemen in the Gardner family, rather. Uh, and it seems he's really got a chip on his soldier shoulder because Guy was kicked out of the force uh, for getting innocent people killed. Um uh, and that's, I guess, that's the the root cause of why Guy is uh, such a disgrace to his father, uh, because he was a he's an officer who who failed uh, at being an officer. So Guy, you know, has a typical Guy Gardner tantrum, snatches the cane away from his father, and starts smashing walls uh, and pictures. Uh, 
particularly a picture of his father in uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, just point out really quick, you can see from his mustache, it's a giant, you know, like a redhead mustache. Mm-hmm. Which, now he has white hair, but, you know. I guess it's it serves to point out that all these kids were not like the milkman's baby. <laughs> <laughs> Continue. <laughs> um, and then we flash back to... Um... Wait a sec. Is, that... Is this a flashback? No, it's not a flashback. That's what's happening right there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he yeah. hears it on the police scanner. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and McNulty and Simon... Um... It's uh, it's a, uh, it's an, it's Officer uh, Marcus, uh, his friend, uh, and his partner under uh, fire. Well, his brother. Uh, it's his brother and his friend. Why? Is it his brother? Yeah, that's his brother. Then why doesn't say Officer Gardner? Oh. Oh, it's the corner of McNulty and Simon. Oh. Oh, okay, there we go. Yeah, it's his brother. Um, and that's why he says Gerard. That's his brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah my bad, my bad. Um, I, I promise I read the issue. I just forgot. <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, he, he he is partnered up with his... Uh, his uh, no, you know, fuck. Yeah, yeah, his brother... His, um, Guy's friend Marcus and... <laughs> <laughs> and his brother are partners. They're taking machine gun fire from some gangs. Guy comes roaring in to save the day. Um, basically knocks them all on their ass with his bike. Uh, takes a... was a, No, that's his father's cane that he took with him. Yeah. To, to, to beat the living shit out of everybody around him. Uh, while he gets his brother off the street and into the car. Uh, and then we reveal that Marcus is, has been shot to death. And this car is... <laughs> is the most riddled with gunfire I've ever seen any car ever. Uh, and that includes um, any number of movies you could possibly name. <laughs> um, the, some of the stray bullets as the gang is, uh, is shooting at the guy as he makes his getaway with his brother, uh, hit the gas tank of guy's bike and it explodes. Well, that, and, that was uh, a as guy, guy shot at the, the bike. It was guy shooting at the bike with the gun that he, Grab from uh, his friend, so he shoots at the bike to to make the gas can explode and take out the guys that were standing right next to it. Oh, I thought it was like a ricochet or some of the stray fire was hitting that particular bike. I didn't notice. Yeah, yeah, because that because that panel's so small and it's subtle. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So guy shoots and makes the damn thing explode. Uh, he, as he's racing his brother away, a Green Lantern ring comes zipping into the car. Guy Gardner of Sector 2814, you have the ability to overcome great fear. Welcome to the Green Lantern Corps. Um, so, it's, it, it, this, this is a really cool scene. Um, guy, said, guy says, what can you, immediately, what can you do, Ring? And the Ring says, it's not, what I can do, it's not what I can do, it's what you can do, Lantern Garter, what you can imagine. And guy says, "I'm imagining my brother's in a hospital being saved. Damn it! So go ahead and impress me." And all of a sudden, uh, the ring scoops up uh, uh, his brother and Marcus's body and zips him over to the nearest hospital. <laughs> they come whooshing in, or what's that? Fash, fashing in. 
Uh, and then uh, they wake up. Uh, his brother's been saved. He's in the hospital. Everything's okay. They wake up to, you know, my little brother's a Green Lantern. Um, and then we cut back to now, uh, well, issue zero now time. Uh, and guys going up against uh, this uh, this uh, alien again. And uh, he's uh, taking, he finally takes him out with this giant, you know, angry guy willpower burst. A camera's capturing the whole event, and we focus uh, now that the alien has been captured. He's in the science cells. Kilowog takes him to the top of the lantern, uh, kind of really congratulates him on, on, on what he's done and saying, you know, I had my doubts about you. And then he finally gives, Green, uh, he finally gives Guy Gardner the symbol that uh, you know, let's uh, let's everybody know that this is no longer a rookie recruit. This is a Green Lantern, and Guy immediately changes his uniform, <laughs> and uh, Hal Jordan comes zipping in, and we see the first introduction between Hal Jordan and uh, Guy Gardner, um, and they automatically have a little uh, <laughs> a little uh, <laughs> tiff between them. Just kind of a, a mutual rivalry. Uh, yeah, basically. He, he says, you know, uh, I heard a lot about you, Jordan. Hal's like, really? Actually, no. Superman and Wonder Woman seem to get all the press in the in, in that Justice of that League of Justice thing, don't they? And guy and Hal retorts, "Nice jacket. You like it? Actually, no. Mm. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, um, I love. But I thought it was a I thought it was a damn good issue. Oh yeah, no, I. Um, the art was amazing, as always. Um, I'll tell you what I didn't like about this issue, and I mean, I'm, I'm what? My recap of it? Oh, no. That was like a train wreck, but no, that's besides the point. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, and I like the issue a lot. So when I say that here's the things that I don't like about it. It's only because it's a lot easier to go over them than to say all the things that I do like. But um, the fact that he calls Hal Harold, I mean, I don't know. That's just kind of irritating. <laughs> um, it's Guy Gardner. Irritating. Yeah, I know, but it's Harold. His name is Hal. It's like, you know, it's if you told me, if you're just like, hi, my name is Chad, I wouldn't be like, you know, okay, Chadlum or something like that or whatever the longer form of Chad would be. Hal's name is Harold. Yeah, but he introduces him as Hal. Nobody says his name is Harold. And not for nothing, but like, you know, if you introduce your name, your name is Hal, you know, like, if I introduce my name as Jim, would you automatically say, oh, hello, James? I mean, it just, it doesn't make any sense. Hmm. But aside from that, I mean, obviously, he's just trying to dig into him because he's like the old man kind of thing. Um... Like, the fact that... the th Okay, here's something that it's not so much that I dislike. It's just that I think it's a little odd that now they're, like, they're retconning the idea of sector partners. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so now, like, forever, they've always had two Green Lanterns per sector. So, I mean, that kind of... That kind of, like, neutralizes or, you know... It takes out all the motivation for a lot of old stories where there was the rivalry between Hal and Guy, 
you know, and Hal, you know, decides that he doesn't want to be Green Lantern anymore, so then Guy takes over, and then Guy gets pissed off when Hal comes back, and he has to give up the ring, and all stuff like that. Like, that that was some interesting rivalries back then, to just say that now all of a sudden there always were sector partners. I think it takes away a lot of that. But, um... Hmm. I mean, again, that, that's something that's fairly minor. Um, the other thing is the concept that now there's yet another origin for Guy Gardner. You know, he was okay. he was like you know I think he was a he was a psychiatrist at one point, or um, a lawyer and a gym teacher, and yep. I could have sworn that there were like other ones too. He's had like a series of of employments, and now all of a sudden they're getting rid of all of those other ones. It's just like he's becoming almost like the Hawkman of the Green Lantern mythos in terms of origins. Mm-hmm. But I mean, aside from that, like if if this was a new character and he didn't have any of that you know history, then <clears throat> this would be a fantastic origin and. In general, it was a great comic. It was definitely a really great story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this one really serves as an awesome one shot, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. This is this is definitely a, a one and done story. It's good. It's really good. Yeah, the um do you notice you said you like the art and you know I did like it a lot in this particular issue. Did you notice the um the glaring art mistake in this book, the one. Uh, I don't. I don't know if I've noticed it or not. Go to the last page where uh, a guy meets Hal. Okay. You see uh, the creation of Guy's costume right there. Okay. Now go back to when uh, a few pages to when uh, uh, Hal or Guy's brother wakes up in the hospital. When he grabs his brother's hand. Okay. Look at oh. guy's costume. The panel to the immediate left of that, he's still floating in his rookie Green Lantern uniform. The panel where he's grasping his brother's hand, he's wearing the atypical Guy Gardner glove. He's You can see his collar. Yeah. yeah that's, that's weird. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Well, I mean, it would be remiss if we didn't point it out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Dan's take on this is uh, Green Lantern Corpse, of course. Bye, 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 bye. The only thing wrong with this issue is that it wasn't longer. I love absolutely everything about it. The only way they could have topped themselves is if I got to see Guy's dad die horribly, the bastard. Guy being a cop kicked the for- kicked off the force way- makes way more sense than him being a lawyer or gym teacher. Sounds like he liked it. Yeah, uh, I believe this is the uh, this alien the guy is fighting is the one that um, the Guardians, I think. Uh, not the Guardians. Uh, the the one that's uh, got a grudge against how uh, against guy when he's transporting all those people, like the an issue or two ago. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. You'll you'll see it in like a future. 
I mean, it, it it was mentioned already once, but you'll see what I'm talking about in later issues of Green the Green Lantern Corps. Okay. You because you haven't read thirteen yet, right? Yeah, now. And uh, well, no, never mind. We'll cover this at the very end. All right. <clears throat> what is it? The we'll we'll do it at the very end of the uh, all the recap issues. So Red Lanterns. Red Lanterns. Okay, so um, this month in Red Lanterns, we actually got a really good issue. Uh, Peter Milligan wrote it. Ardian Sayaf drew it. Has he been the one that's been drawing it? I don't remember. I don't think so. No, he's Ardian Sayaf. It's been. It's been the guy whoever did the covers. Is it? Yeah, you don't recognize that style right there on the cover? No, I completely don't recognize. Wait, let me see something. No, no, the person that drew this comic is not the same person who drew the covers. I can tell that. Right no, 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 I know, I, I know that. I mean, the guy who's been drawing the comic uh, uh, is the guy who did the cover for issue zero. Oh yeah, yeah, that's who did the cover. Yeah. But, yeah, no, Artie and Syaf. I think Artie and Syaf is the one that was doing Green Lantern Corps or New, New uh, Emerald Warriors. Yes. Yes. So the art in this book is fantastic. Uh, Vincent Cifuentes, I guess, did inks. I can't actually find the, mm-hmm. uh, the page. What is it, at the very end? Yeah. Um, colorist Peter Pantazis. Um, yep, that's it. Okay, so we have this uh, Red Lanterns issue. This is now the origin of Atrocitus, and totally, totally worth checking out. Starts off where you have uh, Riot, and uh, this is before it's been wiped out. You have the Manhunters stationed there, and, um, you know, Atrocitus' family, they're all there. Atrocitus' daughter... Traka, she she didn't trust the Manhunters. She she didn't uh, she didn't like them. She she thought that they hated them, which would be interesting because they were all robots. But um, turns out she was right, and they uh, they wipe out everybody on Riot as we know. And the only one that survives is Atrocitus, who and I, I mean when I say the only person that survives on the entire planet, he's the only one that survives. And, uh, he, like, after they, you know, kill his family, he basically just tries to take out as many as possible. And, um, as his family is killed, they make a note of, you know, saying that, you know, hope dies inside of him. So he no longer has hope. Next thing you know it, you know, everything, everything's dead on the planet, except for Atrocitus. And two of the inversions, uh, Peter Quill and... Roixame. I have no idea how to pronounce that. But the two of them are, uh, they pop up on this world because they sense somebody is alive. And they use blood magic to reveal that it is Atrocitus. And uh, there he is, you know, half alive, almost dead, with his hands around the throat of a manhunter. And, uh, you know, they say, listen, you know, you have... You know, you have this hatred of them as much as we do, but we uh, we don't have the same focus as you. So come with us, and we'll you know we'll take out our vengeance on on uh, the guardians. Uh, then they reveal the other two of the uh, five inversions. What is it? Uh, Orphrum and Dal Zaux. 
who spend a lot of time in the marginal zones, which are dimensions that exist two thoughts away from this realm. Um, oh. This is it, like the one thing that I really like about this issue, and uh, you know, sorry to take a break in the middle of the recap, but this fits so well with uh, Tigers. You know, yeah, the whole way it's written and everything—it just—it's basically like an extension of that story. So, you know, they give Atrocitus a little bit of power to use to, uh, you know, help fight the Guardians and their Owen science. And they set up the Empire of Tears with, uh, you know, it's, all, it's just all magic everywhere there. And eventually Atrocitus says, you know, he figures that he, he needs more power. So he kind of like seduces Roik Sawmay, who I guess is a female. <laughs> and he, uh, he basically gets into a relationship with her so that he can steal her secrets of blood magic. Um, and as, as he gets the power though, love dies within him. So now, now he's all powered up with, you know, full blood magic and he, you know, he needs to test that out. So he goes and he, uh, he kills a, a guardian who was trying to set up a Green Lantern Corps. And, you know, by killing him, he delays the Green Lantern Corps by, you know, hundreds of years. But uh, he makes a point of saying, pity died in me centuries ago. So that's, you know, he'd like, they go through and different emotions keep dying within him other than rage. He's lost compassion. He's lost hope. He's lost love. And, uh, you know, it, it just keeps going on like that. And He uses the blood from the Guardian to create his first blood prophecy. And, you know, he sees the, the Red Lantern symbol. He sees what he must do. He must kill the other four inversions and, and use their blood. But he doesn't really know why just yet. And uh, then the Guardians... They, you know, they lock them all up on Riot. Uh, no, you smalt. You smalt. And he eventually is able to use the blood magic to uh, break free and kill all the other four inversions. And with their blood, he powers the Red Lantern power battery and starts the Red Lantern core. Yeah, he uses the last drop of blood from the inversions to, you know, see what his mission is in the universe. And, he, you know, it shows him. He must start this Red Lantern core. And that's it. Did he rip a Red Lantern battery out of her face? Mm, no. No, he was he was killing her. I know. But he reaches into her face and then he kills Quill. With a lantern. Yeah, no, um Yeah, where's the lantern come from? It, well, First off, they don't show you that. Yeah. They're like, they've never shown the exact creation point of the lantern. Yeah. So, like, on the one hand, they may eventually do that. But on the other hand, with this issue, like with the blood magic, they actually give you a clue as to how it could have been created. Because up to this point, we always knew that Atrocitus had the power of, uh, you know, prophecy. 
We've always known that he could do that. We didn't know why, just that he was, you know, reading the blood. But in this issue, they explain to us that it's this concept of blood magic, this primal, you know, red-based magic. And by using that, like, he's, you know, he has much power. You know, so it's not like he's just a guy. It's not like he's just a guy who used, you know, a blood prophecy and he condensed all of his rage and magically, you know, without magic, created a ring. He actually has magic. He has a lot of magic. He has a whole lot of magic. And he has, you know, the blood of these other five inversions who all hate the Guardians as much as he did. So he has that much hatred to harness and he has the magic to, you know, to harness it. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is, like, the first time that I feel like I have a suitable clue as to how the hell he generated a power battery out of nothing. Yeah. I've always wondered that. It never made any sense to me. You know, like, you know, I can under, like, you have the weaponers who are really good at making weapons, and they killed an entire planet. And the fear from that, they were able to condense and put in a battery. You know, like, it makes sense to me because they're weaponers, and if anybody's going to be able to make a weapon like that, it's them. And not to mention, they also investigated how Green Lantern Ring was, you know, was made and worked. So they had that as a basis to go on anyway. You know, and yeah. the the Owens, the Guardians, like, they, they've been around for, you know, however long they've been around for. They're the smartest, the most powerful people in the universe, you know, or thereabouts. So it makes sense that if anybody's going to be able to create a, create a Green Lantern ring, it's a race like them. But it never really made sense to me that Atrocitus, who's just, just a guy, albeit with, you know, limitless amounts of hatred, would just be able to generate a power battery based on Owen technology out of nothing. You know? So, I mean, it could even be that, that that Guardian that he murdered had a prototype Green Lantern battery that he somehow corrupted and turned red. But we don't know that for sure. But, I mean, they've given us a lot of clues, and they show that a lot of his, you know, his, his other emotions besides rage were just completely killed off. I don't know, did they kill off uh, greed and uh, willpower? Um, I don't know. Those are the only two. Um. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think those are the only ones. I mean, unless, unless they're going with, like, you know, I should have saved her and I failed. Like, he didn't have the will to do it. But that's kind of. Stretch. It's a stretch, and it's not an outright saying, you know. Hmm. Uh, what'd you think? Uh, it was a good issue. I, I like uh, I like how brutal it was. Mm-hmm. It's really befitting of a Red Lantern book. Um, and one thing that was really cool to notice is how old Atrocitus is. Well, Look, we knew that. No, we didn't really know that. I mean, we knew he was around when Sector Six 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 was destroyed. Yeah. Um, 
Um, but we didn't really know when that was. Like, was was that when the Guardians were Guardians, or was that when they were still Malthusians? We didn't really know that, not until um, the War of the Green Lantern stuff. So this is a nice confirmation still that that's probably still in play. Um, um, look at look at that that Guardian he's murdering. That's not a Guardian. That's a Malthusian. It's full sized. It's not like a midget. <laughs> um. Yeah, but he has the Green Lantern uniform on. Yeah, so technically, like, by title, he's a Guardian, but he's not, like, the traditional Guardian. He's a Malthusian... I think he's... You know, like, this is the transition point. Like, this is yeah. when they were transitioning, which is yeah, right went, around what happened with... Uh, like, this is the point where, you know, after... Um, after Krona wiped out Sector 666, you know, they all had their, uh, you know, White Lantern kind of robes on, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, after that, like, they're, now they're, now they're Guardians. This is definitely yeah. Guardians, but they're, you know, since it's the beginning of them being Guardians, they're still full size. They haven't shrunk down yet. Hmm. It's a good issue. Yeah. I wonder who that guy is. I wonder if that'll come back to play at all. That'd be cool. He kind of looks like Ganthet. A little bit. Hmm. Hmm. Um, yeah, no. I was, a little cre- I was a little creeped out by the uh, kind of love scene between <laughs> <laughs> Roxanne and Atrocitus. Yeah. Yeah, that was gross. Yeah, no, this is this is a good issue. Okay. Um hold on one second. Okay. It looks like somebody wants to make their uh, debut appearance on the Google Lantern cast. <laughs> uh, okay. He's yeah, I think he's already made his appearance. We heard him in the background earlier. Oh, okay. <laughs> um So okay, what would you rate this? I'd give it a buy, a low buy, because it's still Red Lanterns and it's got a lot to make up for, but it's a buy. Mm-hmm. I, I'd give it a definite buy. Um, actually, I'd give it a high buy. I, I thought it was great. I thought this was like, this is what I definitely want out of Red Lanterns. And if Milligan is going to give us more like this, then I'm all on board. All right. And and what were your Dan's thoughts? Uh, Dan's thoughts, uh, Red Lanterns, buy. Which, uh, interesting from Dan. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, that first page was amazing. So well done visually and really funny. This entire issue, I was flipping back to the cover to make sure Milligan actually wrote it. I wish the entire series was like this issue. It's interesting to see the inversions actually used as characters for a change. And I love the tremendous amount of time this issue covered. It reminds me of how Chad will often bring up the age of Larflees. Most of all, this made Atrocitus <laughs> interesting for the first time in a year. It goes to show you that a character with clear motivation can be enjoyable to follow, as opposed to one who's just sort of wandering directionless. <laughs> um, yeah. The only thing that I'm not, like, completely, that I wonder a little bit about, is that uh, the Empire of Tears. I think, mm-hmm. I think the, the, the 
time on that is a little skewed because the Empire of Tears um, and where magic held sway, I think that happened before the uh, the Guardians became Guardians. Mm, this is the New Fifty Two, right? But so you know, I mean, like originally. You had like like that's that was originally why they sent the Manhunters into you know Sector Six 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 because you know they wanted like it was the Manhunters and the old uh, Owens that were trying to you know rid the universe of random magic. Hmm. I'm pretty sure that that was the original timetable. Anyway, yeah. but yeah, no. Um, yeah, New 52, and they're actually using it as a story. It's good. I, I loved it. I thought it was a fantastic issue. Like like Dan said, you know, wish it was more like this. Yeah, it's good, good, good stuff. Um, New Guardians? Yeah, did you actually read this issue? I did. So you, you're going to give us an awesome review? I, I read these issues. It's just if we'd actually record on time, <laughs> I'd be able to. <laughs> I'd be able Listen, to. I what? read all these issues twice. Look, I read them I, when I first read them, and I read them again for this episode. You know what? I no. read these. I read. I read these issues twice too when I first got them, and when we were supposed to record this episode last week. What's <laughs> <laughs> <a> point? <laughs> How'd that work out? <laughs> oh. um, all right, so um, New Guardians uh, number zero, which is not an origin issue, um, strikingly enough. Uh, New Guardians number zero is, I'm trying to get to the title page, but apparently it's in the very freaking back of the book, and that doesn't really help when you're using a digital file. Okay, uh, Tony Bedard writer, Aaron Cooter artist, um, Andre Bresson is the artist for pages 5 and 6 and 17 through 19. Greg Adams is the inker for page 15 and 16. <laughs> and Mi Rufino is the colorist uh, on the book, as always. Uh, so... With the issue opens with uh, a scene between Hal and Tom at Ferris Aircraft. Tom is violating federal safety regulations by working alone, uh, as is probably the usual since no one ever seems to be at Ferris but Tom and Carol. <laughs> so he's probably working alone all the time. Um, so uh, they're just, you know, it's kind of a nice scene between them as, you know, friends and co-workers and everything and um, she's uh, basically in the hangar to check the lockers to see if Hal has come back for his power battery to recharge uh, anytime lately. So Tom busts into the uh, Hal Jordan uh, locker where we see his power battery sitting on the top shelf, hi hidden behind a jacket. And uh, as we can see, there's a couple of tickets and some pictures of Carol pasted in the, the end of the door. And uh, <laughs> Tom says, I can't decide if that's sweet or stalkery. And Carol's definitely sweet. Um, everything looks untouched. Uh, what's that down by his shoe? Uh, and no, not the really, really old-looking bag of lunch that's down there. <laughs> Is it the, the deodorant? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> How dare we? 
Um, no, it can't be what it looks like. Oh, how it's a ring, uh, and I'm not his Green Lantern ring. We're talking a wedding ring, uh, in in the jewelry box and everything. Uh, did did you tell about the? Did did, did Hal tell you about this, Tom? And uh, no, and then they see a green streak come through the sky. Oh, it must be Hal. Oh no, it's Kyle. Uh, uh, and uh, he's he's uh, come up to Carol. Um, <laughs> my favorite, one of my favorite panels of the book. She's she she calls him Kyle Rayner. He's like, hey, easy on the Kyle stuff. I wear the mask for a reason. She's like, fine. They don't show up at my workplace calling me Star Sapphire. <laughs> um, so they're asking. You know, it, it, Kyle doesn't know where Hal is. He's asking where. Uh, He's asking where Hal, Carol where Hal is. Carol doesn't know. Uh, Kyle kind of explains what, like, very briefly what's been going on with the Guardians. Uh, and then uh, that's when Tom interrupts him and say, says, hey, there's breaking news. There's a battle going on between Black Hands and Estro and Hal at a cemetery. Uh, and Carol takes off to go grab her star sapphire ring. We cut back to what the scene we left off with uh, in... Uh, Green Lantern 12, or was it uh, the annual number one? Uh, no, I think this was... I can't remember which one this ended on. Uh, well, no, this took up number 12 and the annual, I think. Okay. Yeah, because number 12 was the zombies, and number one was, you know, Black Hand. Yeah. Okay, so we've got the zombies at the cemetery near the Black Hand mortuary. SWAT is going up against him, and it's not working because, you know, they're dead. So that doesn't really work. Um, they could say, we're going to need a freaking airstrike, and that's when your airstrike comes in in the form of Kyle Rayner and Star Sapphire in her brand new costume. Um, um, let's see, these are... Oh, Kyle, Kyle thinks they're regular zombies. Uh, so, um, or they're, 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 uh, Black Lanterns, rather. Um, and so he goes up against them, try, so he combines power with Sapphire, and they start zapping various zombies. Uh, and apparently that trick still works, even though I don't think these are Black Lanterns, but whatever. Um, so they, uh, head to the middle of the entire thing, uh, trying to look for Hal, and that's when, um... Uh, Kyle sets up an energy construct, kind of recreating the the center point of a of a blast of a detonation, uh, rather. A uh, yellow power battery. Yeah, the yellow power battery that uh, exploded in issue annual number one. No, that was issue twelve. I, I get those damn things confused because they came out exactly the same time, so I can't remember what came out when. Um, that's when suddenly the ground begins to swell and the, the zombies uh, start rebuilding themselves and suddenly Star Sapphire and Kyle are overrun by zombies in a very beautiful page uh, of undead awesomeness. I particularly like the zombie that's kind of leaping at Star Sapphire. That's really cool looking. <laughs> um, so they, uh, they uh, are just literally being over, like swarmed upon. Um, so he, he, he knows by him and Carol being separated, they can't really wipe out any zomb any of these zombies because they can't combine the power. So Kyle starts freaking out as he's being overrun and taps into hope. Somebody does not like hope. 
Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh, hold on a second. No problem. Okay, continue. <laughs> and uh, that's when Kyle uh, really taps into hope. You see the symbol light up in his eye, and then the next page, this beautiful splash. And I can't believe Kyle, uh, Dan's not here to see this uh, because, or, or to talk about this because this is freaking amazing. Of Kyle just kind of starburst lighting up the area with blue lantern energy. It's amazing. Um, and uh, Carol's like, "What WTF? What just happened? Did you just harness the blue and green spectrum?" Kyle kind of explains to her what's been going on in the series thus far with him, uh, you know, trying to teaming up with the other core and then wearing all the rings at once and everything and he said uh, she's like you know Kyle said you're you're special you, Carol says Hal says you were special that you were the torch bearer for the whole core maybe this means something and Kyle asks locate Lantern Jordan and the ring says Lantern Hal Jordan of Earth is deceased repeat Lantern Jordan deceased and so Kyle tries to locate his ring and that's when you see uh a quick uh, energy construct of Baz. Carol doesn't believe it, and uh, she says, "Because you're, uh, because you're part of the, uh, uh, because I'm part of the Star Sapphire Corps. I feel that Hal is still alive. That he can't be dead. That my love can't be dead. So that's when S S Carol pulls some crazy bullshit move we've never seen before, and shows K uh, Kyle the future." Um, the sap the sapphire says that Kyle will have to combine all seven powers in himself. Um, and so, with that being the possibility that uh, Kyle has to, you know, wield all seven powers, that kind of is the linchpin that's going to start this entire new run on New Guardians. And we cut over to um, Zamoron, half a universe away, apparently. As the Guardians are descending to talk to the Zamorans, um, not, the Queen is dead, remember, so this is just the, the, the other Zamorans. They know what's going on, and they decide to join the Guardians in their, uh, in their quest, as it were, to uh, destroy all the cores and you know, eliminate free will. And that's that. Now, what what you call it? When you said that, you know, something that we've never seen a Star Sapphire do, that's not entirely true. Because, you know, like with the, you know, Miri has showed us that by looking into the Star Sapphire, like it shows you, it shows you your heart, basically. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, and by looking into, you know, and also with Kyle now able to kind of like, you know, hack other emotions, basically, they can kind of communicate on the Sapphire level. They can communicate on the level of emotional love, you know, as a power. So she was, I don't know that she was necessarily showing him his future as opposed to what was in his heart and what he was capable of and what he was going to have to do. Hmm. I don't know if I buy that. I mean, I kind of have to, otherwise it would just make no sense. 
<laughs> yeah, because because <laughs> there aren't ever moments in comics, especially these comics, that don't make sense. <laughs> um, and also, I think it's important to note that when he does that starburst, he's harnessing green and blue at the same time. So that's why he wipes out all the Black Lanterns. Right. Yeah. Um, they weren't Black Lanterns, as in you know, with rings. They didn't have rings, but they did follow the same rule as other Black Lanterns. We saw that in issue 12 of Green Lantern. Yeah, and I still don't know if I buy that. That's fine. The thing that the thing that I don't really buy is that, you know, by the time that that second wave of zombies starts popping out of the ground, you know, like, I think at that point, Hal and Sinestro were probably dead, and Black Hand has been absconded by uh, the Guardians. Yeah. So, I mean... They're really there's no reason why those zombies should be there. Like they had extra zombies. There were too many zombies. Hmm. Um, I mean, it was basically. I know that they did it just for the purpose of showing Kyle, you know, with the starburst. Yeah. You know, which was a really cool moment. I mean, you know, who doesn't want to see Kyle harness two emotions at once? That was freaking awesome. Beautiful but, page. Um, yeah. Um. But yeah, no, I mean, story-wise, it was it was good. The thing, oh, what you call it? Oh yeah, and not for nothing, who the hell keeps an engagement ring at the very bottom of their work locker, underneath like dirty socks and behind deodorant? Hal Jordan, who's only ever around Carol when he's at Ferris Aircraft. At least put it on the top shelf next to the battery. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, okay, I guess from the point of view that he usually doesn't have an apartment to go back to. Um, yeah, keep okay, keep it in your locker. But it, don't keep it behind the socks and the deodorant on the very bottom. That's just weird. You know what I think is funny? Because Hal's been in his face so friggin' much. This is what, what we see here with his locker is probably the only possessions the guy owns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, what you call it, uh, the tickets in his locker were to Rocky Horror Picture Show. What? Yeah, if you look at it, you can see. There were two tickets to Rocky Horror Picture Show, which he probably took Carol to go see at one point. Okay, I see Admit One, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay, see, these are the things you miss out. See, people, these are the things you miss out on when you read digital comics and not, (laughs) when, and not the... (laughs) Not the the hard stuff you can actually take a look at, because you actually have to zoom to check these e- details. Um, what you call it? Um, so story wise, I thought it was I thought it was a good kickoff point. Uh, I think it probably had a little too much Carol and Pie Face action. I like that. Yeah, I don't know. I thought that was a, so some of that was a little too forced. Uh, but, but other than that, no, I thought, I thought it was a good issue to kick off, you know, this, this next story that's coming. Art wise is another story. Mm -hmm. Now, okay. I like the art style in general. Now, this is a change from Tyler Kirkham, who we've had for 12 issues. We love Tyler Kirkham. Now, 
in general, we would be more apt to question a new artist. We would be more hesitant to just latch right onto him right away. But when this issue starts out, like there's a lot of art in this book that I really like. I think it looks like um, it's like a slight variation of uh, Frank Quietly artwork. You know, it's got that kind of like softness to it. Um, I like it. I do like a lot of the art in this book. But and and even with with the other artist uh, whose name escapes me right now, I can't get to it. Um, the, the the one that drew the zombies. He was he basically drew all the zombies in this issue. I think his zombies were terrific. In fact, this might have been the same guy from Green Lantern 12 that did those zombie pages in there. Um, but even if he wasn't, like that art was fantastic. The problem is that there were a bunch of pages in this where I don't know if Aaron Cooter was being rushed or... If, you know, like, his inks are, you know, there are the certain pages where the other inker was working on stuff, and I think those inks are very muddy. I think it leaves out a lot of detail on the characters. There are just, like, there's a few pages in this book where, like, everything just goes completely wonky. And, like, when you have a scene where they're in Kyle's mind, and he's seeing how he's going to be a member of every core, that should be... First off, that should be a, a full-page spread. Second of all, it should be something so gorgeous that you could make a poster out of it. Because that, like, that's that's a scene that, you know, to kick off a storyline like this, that's something that people want to see. You know, and it has to look good. And, you know, it doesn't. Mm. You know, like... Um, there are certain certain costumes, like uh, some some costumes work good, and I don't even know how much you know time and energy was actually put into designing each costume for Kyle. Um, but you know, like you have the the Indigo costume, looks interesting, looks kind of cool. The Blue Lantern costume, well, we've already seen that. We've already seen Kyle as a Blue Lantern, and they just kind of give you a hint of what he looks like as a Star Sapphire. And there's kind of like an addition to his clamshell mask, so it has kind of like a variation of the, the sapphire tiara, uh, without making it look like a woman's tiara. That's cool. But then in the background you have Sinestro Kyle, and he kind of looks like Guardian from the Superman comics. You have the Red Lantern one, where he's got this helmet that just looks like, I, I don't even know, it, it looks like a torturer outfit. And... Orange Lantern Kyle just looks horrendous. I mean, it's... I, I don't even know. It almost looks like he's putting something in a cup. And he's kind of grasping the lantern, but... Oddly, it's just... It, it looks it looks awful. This, this page should look beautiful, and half of it looks good, and half of it just looks blah. That, that to me, is just like, you know... It's it's almost criminal to to not make that like the most beautiful page in the entire comic. Yeah, it's um, Aaron Cooter is the uh, artist who did uh, the art for Key of Z, um, right? And uh, I thought the art was a pretty you know once you once you got um, into the story and you know got used to the art. 
Uh, I've had more experience with this art than most people because of Q of Z, uh, particularly with zombies. <laughs> yeah. So for me, as far as arts go, like I can understand um, people's apprehension with this artist because it is a, such a different change from Tyler Kirkham. Um, and because it's a different change, uh, even something as good as Nia Rufino's colors uh, don't really pop as well with this particular style. Um, they're still beautiful, as evident of the splash page where Kyle's harnessing both uh, blue and green. Um, but, uh, it, you know, some it's a jarring change, and I get why a lot of people don't like it. But for me, personally, with my experience with Key of Z and his zombies and that, uh, and uh, kind of seeing that kind of transition here into this particular book, I mean, they really couldn't have picked a better uh, issue um, to introduce this artist on than an issue where Kyle has to deal with zombies. <laughs> At least for me. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I don't even think Aaron Cooter was drawing the majority of the zombie pages. Hmm. Like, if you look at the end, it shows you, you know, that uh, this was drawn by, you know, this was drawn by two people. And Andre Bressman was the artist on pages 5 five and 6 and 17 through 19. Now, aren't those the zombie pages? Uh-uh. 17 and 19 are when Kyle and Carol are talking. 17, 18, and 19 are the ones where Kyle and Carol are talking right before um, uh, Carol shows him his future. So... Oh. Okay, so Aaron Cooter did do the zombies. Yes. So wait, so did Aaron Cooter do the prophecy, or was that left to the other guy? Uh, Aaron Cooter looks like he did do the prophecy, however... The um, other guy inked it? No. No, no he didn't. Yeah. So that's all on him. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's all on him. Not to mention, you have a zero issue. It shouldn't be drawn by two people and inked by three. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron hey. Cooter, fail. Uh, uh. I, yeah. Okay, I mean, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to say complete fail because there's a lot of great moments in here, like the double page spread of them against zombies and the, Splash yeah. of Kyle using the powers and all that stuff. Yeah, no, um, it's not a complete fail. No. But you're given a zero issue, and you don't finish it. Yeah, that's true. Now, now, uh, what do we think of um, Star Sapphire's new costume? Oh, I hate it. Why? I think it's awful. I think, you know, like, okay, well, first off, I do like the old costume. I do like the original costume. That was never a secret. Um, but I mean, like, I, I hate the new mask. I think the new mask is awful. And I don't like the fact that there's a giant star in the middle of her chest. You know, like, it just it doesn't look good with the color scheme. And second of all, I think it would have looked tremendously better if the, uh, you know, the violet and the black were swapped. You know, like, if you if you switch the black and the violet so that the majority of her is black 
and she's got, you know, like the violet accents like most of the other Lantern Corps have. And then instead of that giant star, you know, right smack dab in her chest, and it's a huge-ass star, you know, no other Lantern Corps has that. If it was just, you know, like a smaller, you know, like the emblem, like the other Lanterns have, which would actually make, you know, a, an ounce of sense, I think the costume would have been great. You know, that would have been something that I could jump on board. But it's like they they went from one extreme to another extreme, and, you know, you had a costume that I loved, and some people hated, now you have a costume that I hate, and, I mean, I think some people will like this costume because it's not the other costume, but I don't necessarily know that I see this costume being anybody's favorite. Uh, I like it. Mm-hmm. I think the knee thing is a little weird. Yeah. I think the mask is a little off. Yeah, I think but... it's a little awful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, buy, borrow, pass? Uh, I give this... Borrow. I give it a buy based on story. Mm. I give it a high borrow. Um... Dan gives it a borrow. Carol has a new costume. This design may not be great, but at least they're not tarting her up like a skank anymore. <laughs> I also really enjoy seeing Carol take up a kind of mentor role. Hope that continues. There was some cool Kyle stuff, too. The art was bad, except for the splash pages. Is this guy the new ongoing artist? I hope not. Um, I can answer that. Just a second. Okay. Um, issue 13, the ongoing artist looks like, uh, the guy who did the backup pages, like the fill-in. Um, yeah, let's, Jesus, why is, I hate digital, I hate my digital, at least. Um, custom zoom, sorry. Uh, Tony Bedard, writer, Andre Bresson, and Emmas, Emil, Car, Emil Carpina. Those are the artists on issue 13. Uh, Ardians, uh, not Ardians. Good God. Um, I'll take Ardians. <laughs> uh, yeah, Cooter's not on uh, issue 13. What about uh, in previews? I mean, you know, advanced solicits for other issues. Is he coming back at all? Um, New Guardians number 16, uh, ooh, art and cover by Aaron Cooter. Okay. So it looks like he comes back. So maybe, uh, maybe he needs like several months to get ahead. Yeah, maybe, maybe the zero issue is a fluke and he didn't really give enough time because we don't know what happens behind the scenes on how DC recruits their artists. Yeah. So... I'll, I'll give him until, you know, his, his next full, you know, issue where he, it's obvious that he had plenty of time yeah, uh, to make a full judgment on how he does on, on the series. Yeah. But by the same token, I mean, this is your zero issue. You want to try and get new readers. You should put your best foot forward. So even if it's not on him, even if DC contacted him like half a month before the issue was coming out... Which would really be stupid, because I mean, this thing's planned for how you know how far in advance. 
they 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 should have they should have done a better job. Yeah. All right. So um, just to wrap up here, uh, Red Lanterns number zero came in at number forty-five on the charts. Um, Let's okay. see. Green Lantern: New Guardians was number thirty-three. Uh, Green Lantern Corps number zero was number thirty-two, and Green Lantern came in at number four. Awesome. Yeah. So, but unfortunately, a good book like Sword of Sorcery was only eighty-four. That sucks. And Phantom Stranger was forty-nine. Well, that's not too bad. No. But Sword of Sorcery is actually a better book than that rating suggests. Um, but something I wanted to cover. Um, there, uh, in the back of each of these issues is a Who's Who in the New 52 entry. Um, which you're a fan of the, if you're a fan of the uh, original Who's Who series, uh, which I am. Um, then um, you'll uh, kind of appreciate that. And it kind of gives you some hints as to what is still in continu- continuity and what is not. Um, in particular, I'm going to point out the who's who entries for Green Lantern Zero and Green Lantern Core Zero. Um, the others, uh, the other two, have good information, but are not necessarily uh, all that necessary to uh, to check out um, for uh, whatever reason. Um, but in the back of uh, Green Lantern uh, Number Zero, uh, there's a, a who's who entry for Hal Jordan. And the Hal Jordan Who's Who entry um, talks about his past. And it says, driven by the mid-mission death of his father. So, mid-mission? Was he a test pilot and the plane just exploded? Is that a mission? Who knows? But anyways, driven by the mid-mission death of his father and often grounded for insubordination, Hal Jordan rose to become one of the best and most fearless pilots in the the U.S. Air Force has ever seen. Hal's fierce willpower led him to being chosen to wear the ring of the dying Green Lantern Abin Sur, who had crash-landed on Earth after a battle with Atrocitus. Accepting the ring, so that's still in continuity. Uh, accepting the ring, Hal became a member of the Green Lantern Corps and was assigned to Earth, trained by Sinestro. Hal once again used his strong will and fearlessness to become one of the best Green Lanterns in the galaxy. Over time, Hal has battled the enemies of the Green Lantern Corps, such as the Manhunters and Black Hand. Often teaming with fellow Lanterns of Earth, John Stewart, Guy Gardner, and Kyle Rayner, Hal has been at the forefront of missions involving other color core in the universe. Recently, Hal has been at odds with his former masters, the Guardians of the Universe, and they have begun to see him as a threat to their plans. Hal's also a founding member of the Justice League. Okay. Um, so some of that stuff is still in continuity because I mean we we weren't we weren't for sure. I mean we were fairly sure, but they never gave us any. Uh, definitiveness uh, to what is still in continuity and what is not. So it seems that Black Blackest Night is still in continuity, um, and they might, depending on what mid-mission death of his father means, they might be toying with Hal's origin just a little bit. Uh, I don't think so. I think, yeah, I think test mission. Okay. I hope. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, because well, think about it. He died before Hal Jordan's eyes. Mm-hmm. Now, if he was on some other mission, then Hal would not have witnessed it, and it would have changed him drastically. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, as long as Jeff Johns is still writing the comic, I don't think they're going to change that. And it's nice to see that the uh, issues, uh, uh, the, or the basically uh, Green Lantern's Secret Origin is still in continuity because of uh, 
Abin being wounded by Atrocitus. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's part of the continuity they're going with here. Um, any other thing in that stand out to you? Anything you want to talk about before I move on to Green Lantern Corps? Who, who, who's who? Um, not really. I mean, everything seemed basic. Like, I, I basically even skipped all these because I just assumed that they would all be, you know, rehashing stuff we already knew. Right, but I, I read them because the, the DC hasn't given us a clear list of what's still in continuity and what isn't. So I was right. just I just wanted to see what they said. Um, the history of Greenland and Core, uh, the Guardians of the Universe are one of the oldest and wisest races in known history. Realizing that the universe needed order and protection, they created the Green Lantern Corps. Armed with power rings that allow them to control the Green Light of Willpower, the Green Lantern Corps has become one of the most powerful entities in existence. There are currently 7,200 Green Lanterns patrolling the 3,600 charted sectors of space, two lanterns per sector, with more being added as the universe is explored further. The Green Lantern Corps is stationed on the planet Oa at the center of the universe. On Oa, they have a training program, living quarters, science cell prisons, the revered Book of Oa, the Guardians themselves, and the Central Power Battery. The Lanterns have needed these resources as they've been put to the test against the greatest evils in the universe, including an all-out war with the dead Black Lanterns and the unstoppable Third Army. So Blackest Night is still in continuity, although considering like the JSA's involvement, blah, 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 and various things, so we don't know to what extent the Blackest Night is, is still in continuity, but just kind of rehashing there. Yes, Blackest Night is still in continuity. <sighs> but I, I just re- I just read that because you know I don't know how many of our listeners out there are new to Green Lantern as of the new Fifty Two. So okay, I just wanted to make sure that was still still covered. <clears throat> so um, how did how since since I didn't read the comics back back then I wanted to ask you and I wanted to ask Dan but he's not here. How does this zero month compare to the original zero month? <laughs> Following following zero hour for those of you who don't know. Well, I mean, well, for one thing, there was only uh, I think there was only one green. Yeah, no, okay, there were technically two zero issues for Green Lantern, but one of them was for Guy Gardner Warrior, mm-hmm. um, which in actuality was probably a better origin issue than Green Lantern Zero because that that really it was basically just a follow up to Green Lantern Zero. Uh, and it showed how showed Hal Jordan kind of like passing the mantle to Kyle, kind of, or Kyle kind of like taking the mantle from Hal. Um, and he goes through the whole issue as far as, you know, you know what, you're right, the ring, it does belong to you. You know, it's, it is yours. You are much better prepared for this. I was just chosen at random. And then he sees Hal kind of like going crazy and... You know, he's like, you know what? Maybe I was the better choice for this, since you're clearly insane. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as comparisons go, I think I think Green Lantern Corps was a great zero issue, and I think Red Lanterns was a great zero issue, as far as giving introductions and uh, you know trying to draw people into the comic. If I had never read Green Lantern and somebody gave me those two issues, then I would probably be rather curious to read what comes next. Uh, Green Lantern, number zero, I I don't know. I mean, 
story wise, I, I didn't I didn't love it. I mean, I guess if you're if that issue appealed to you, you know, like if you didn't have the same reservations that I did, then it's a good zero issue. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's just my reading preferences that I I wasn't into that character and the story that that they told. But that you know, I could easily see other people being into that. And uh, New Guardians number zero. I mean, like I think it's a good continuation of what we've been reading. But I don't necessarily know again that that would really hook anybody that hasn't been reading the comic. So it's kind of like a fifty-fifty thing. I think this time around they got it. They definitely got it half right in the Green Lantern books for a zero issue, you know, origin, hook people with something new. Back then, you know, I don't necessarily know how well that issue would do for bringing somebody new in. I, I mean, actually, if you were reading Zero Hour. And, you know, you said, oh, let me try Green Lantern number zero now. Then I think it probably would have been successful. Um, you know, and if you were reading Green Lantern and, you know, checked out the zero issue, you would have enjoyed it. But I think if somebody hadn't been reading Zero Hour and they just picked up Green Lantern Zero and that was their introduction, I don't, I don't know how well that would have done. I don't think that would have been that great of an intro for them. Right. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. So, Larfleet's report. Yeah, sure. Let's do that. All right. Um, well, uh, uh, because of um, New York Comic Con and Austin Comic Con, I didn't get a chance to do one for October. So, uh, there are a couple things in here from the October solicits um, for stuff releasing in December. Yes, for December that I'll mention. Um, but uh, just uh, for, for FYI, don't forget, number 15's coming out in December and number 16's coming out in January. Um, but along with the number um, uh, the number 16's, there's a couple of different solicits for a couple of things that maybe you weren't aware of that were coming out, so I thought I'd let you guys know. Uh, on January 30th, 48 pages for 5 bucks. Green Lantern Corps Annual Number 1. Uh, that is the end of the Rise of the Thor Third Army storyline. Uh, that is the go-for-broke ending as they solicit it. That's January? Uh, yes, January 30th. Okay. It's not too, so the very that's not too much farther to, uh, to have to wait till this uh, story's over. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> but it's written by uh, Peter Tomasi, which is kind of odd. Uh, I didn't know that uh, you know such a overarching story arc wouldn't have Jeff John's hand in it somehow. Um, I thought he would try and make it a Green Lantern issue or something that the whole thing would end in so he could finish it up, but that's kind of cool. I'd like to see uh, how Tomasi wraps it up, uh, which will lead into the new storyline that was uh, recently uh, released. Um, I can't remember. Do you remember what the title of the new storyline is called? Did you read that article? Uh Wrath of the First Lantern? Yeah, something like that. Or Revenge of the First uh, Lantern, something like that? Yeah, so, uh, and, and uh, I think we should just probably wait to talk about that particular news until Dan is here. Yeah. So we can get a good discussion about it. But, uh, yeah, that'll lead in, uh, the end of Green Lantern Corps Annual Number 1 will lead into Wrath of the First Lantern. Um, and then, uh, also, another annual, Green Lantern New Guardians Annual Number 1, by uh, Keith Giffen, and art by... Scott Collins uh, and uh, Andre Bresson. Um, 
And it's uh, the introduction of uh, a deep cover GL named Jedagaya Call. And uh, this issue apparently leads directly into the new epic uh, storyline called The Hunted, which will be featured in the new series called Threshold, which also releases in January. Uh, and New Guardians uh, Annual Number 1 releases on January 9th, again for $5, um, but it's uh, a 48-page book. And speaking of Threshold, Threshold Number 1 out on January 16th, written by Keith Giffen and art by Tom Rainey, with a backup story art by Scott Collins, and then the backup, who is featured but Larflees. So Scott Collins will be drawing Larflees, as you guys probably heard in the... Uh, uh, new the New York Comic Con uh, <laughs> the New York Comic Con uh, interviews if that's released before this or after this <laughs> you'll who knows you'll hear yeah <laughs> and um, the Jedediah Call uh, deep cover Green Lantern will be also in this uh, uh, in this issue as stated before uh, so January sixteenth forty pages for four bucks. And for whatever reason, I don't know why I'm mentioning it. For all I know, this could just be a kid with a light-up shirt. Um, but in Animal Man number 16, the cover seems to feature um, a few characters looking up, and uh, there's a Green Lantern caught up in uh, something. I don't know if it's a kid wearing a shirt with the symbol that lights up or if there's some sort of weird play off the shirt of light in the room. I don't know what's going on. But in Animal Man number 16, there's a Green Lantern symbol on the cover. So I don't know what that means. Now, this is part of the Rot World storyline that's been going on uh, between Animal Man and Swamp Thing with a couple of issues involved from Frankenstein, Agent of Shade. Um, uh, but uh, it's a fairly popular series right now if you're into the whole horror genre. So I'd check it out. Um, but I don't know if I'd check it out for the Green Lantern appearance if... Indeed, there is one. <laughs> it's just really confusing to see a Green Lantern symbol on the uh, cover of this issue. Yeah, no, that that definitely looks like a Green Lantern. Now, whether or not it's an alien, you know, or some yeah. sort of alternate area, whatever, I don't know. I haven't really been reading the story, so I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Okay, Absolute Blackest Night, the hardcover. <laughs> uh... Uh, this collects uh, the, uh, the entire Blackest Night series, as it should. Um, but it's actually not really that great of a thing. For 100 bucks, it releases on June 26th of next year. So this is a highly advanced solicit. Um, this collects the free comic book day Blackest Night Zero, Blackest Night the main series, and Untold Tales of the Blackest Night number one and DC Universe number zero. Notice it leaves out Green Lantern and Green Lantern Corps. So I don't know how absolute this absolute Blackest Night hardcover can be. <laughs> uh, if, we're, if we're talking Blackest Night the miniseries, <laughs> then I guess it's absolute. Uh, but if we're talking Blackest Night the event, no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Chad, this is absolutely the best you're going to get. Uh, nope. Uh, library binding is what I will be using for for my stuff. Anyways, um, yeah, it's a hundred bucks. So if you absolutely feel like this is a, better than a regular trade of the Blackest Night one through eight series, then more power to you. But I think it's ridiculous. 
Earth 2 Volume 1, The Gathering Hardcover on March 13th, 160 pages for $22.99. And this is the uh, first six issues of the New 52 Earth 2 series written by James Robinson with art by Nicholas Scott. So uh, this is, this is going to be the trade that features the origin of Alan Scott um, among the, uh, as well as the story of... Um, uh, of the first six issues involving you know Grundy and everything, so definitely check that out. And uh, more Green Lantern related stuff, not uh, DC issues. Constructing Green Lantern from page to screen hardcover. Uh, this is about the Green Lantern movie. Uh, it is a sale edition, so I don't know if it's. Um, I guess it's the exact same book. Um, but in, it was previously offered at $35, and now the Constructing Green Lantern from page to screen book, all about the movie, and everything will be twelve ninety eight instead of $35. Ooh. So for 13 bucks rather than nearly 40 you can get this book about the uh, movie of Green Lantern. You know, we all know it wasn't the greatest movie, um, but if you do read this book, this is going to give you information on what the movie could have been. Character designs, plot layouts, and everything. If you want a more complete uh, story about what the Green Lantern movie could have been rather than trying desperately to search through online articles, get this book. It also has some great concept art of the Sinestro Corps ring. It does. It does. It's a very nice book. I like it. Uh, yeah, the, the movie wasn't that great, but it's still it's still uh, worthwhile to pick it up. And for 13 bucks, are you kidding me? That size of a hardcover book? That's awesome. I don't. I don't think they're kidding you, Chad. That was lame. Um, um, and um, let's see. These are uh, T-shirts from Graffiti Designs, and they're called Raw. Uh, I think I don't know if it's called the 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 it's called Raw Deal or or what it is, but but because it, it's titled Raw Deal, but they're labeled as Raw shirts, so I don't know. Um, what these are are these are white shirts, uh, and on and printed on the front are the original non-inked, uh, non-colored sketches of Jim Lee's character designs for the New Fifty Two Justice League. Um, so we got one for Superman, one for Wonder Woman, and one for Batman, as well as one for Green Lantern. Uh, so if you like if you like Jim Lee's art and you like Green Lantern, you can go ahead and get this T-shirt um, featuring his uninked art of Green Lantern's character design. Uh, medium through XL is 19 bucks, and the double XL will cost you $22. And again, that's Graffiti Designs. All right, and now we have a series called Justice League Logo Trexies. I don't know what these are, um, but they're kind of like um, Mickey Mouse things without the ears, kind of. I they're. Look it up, Jim. You might be able to explain this better than I. Trexis, T-R-E-X-I-S. Um, these are basically just little characters, uh, solid color. Uh, the Batman is a solid black. The others, uh, the just, the uh, Green Lantern, the Superman, the Wonder Woman, and the Flash are all also solid colors. However, they are uh, transparent. Um, so Flash is... You know, red, Green Lantern's green, Superman's blue, Wonder Woman's yellow, with a symbol on the front. That's really all they are. Uh, and per figure, you're going to pay ten bucks for these. Oh, oh, round head with just the symbol on the chest. Yes. Oh God, that's awful. Yeah, you see what that is? Yeah, that's. You... 
be able to explain this better than I can. So. Um, yeah, I don't know if this is a, a vinyl kind of thing. It's probably a vinyl. But, yeah, he's got, like, a bowl for a head, and it's almost like Lego hands. It's it's kind of ugly. Yeah, and not not worth ten bucks a figure. No, no, definitely not. No. Yeah, but they got a lot of these for various other things, uh, and also resolicited is uh, the aprons, the DC Heroes aprons. You got the uh, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Flash, as well as Green Lantern for twenty five bucks a piece. So you know the the Green Lantern uh, from the torso, from the chest to the knees. Uh, picture uh, for the apron. So, you know, if you feel like if you're if you're a Green Lantern fan who loves to cook or barbecue, I suppose this is the uh, item for you. Then that's not the item for anybody. <laughs> uh, which I don't know. I've been I've been tempted to get it from time to time. Seriously? Yeah, I I I'm a damn good cook. That's one of my uh, hidden talents. Yeah, is I'm... but the one of the problems with this is that <laughs> the thing around the neck hangs so low. That it looks like the torso of Green Lantern, but it's so low on you, it's like the torso, the symbol is like right on your gut. <laughs> um, which, you know, like, because I've actually considered getting a Green Lantern apron myself. Figure if I'm going to have an apron, I kind of want a cool one. But what I was thinking would be even cooler is if you just get like a blue apron and, mm-hmm. you know, like get a, they sell like Blue Lantern symbol pout, uh, patches. So you just buy a patch right off eBay, you iron it on the front, and, I mean, if you really want to embellish it, you could add some, like, you know, black fabric, uh, you know, decorations here and there to make it actually look more like a Blue Lantern costume. But I think that would look really nice as opposed to this, you know, cartoon torso of Green Lantern. <laughs> I just noticed... Um, in the solicit for November from previews for these aprons, you have Flash and Green Lantern and Wonder Woman and Batman and Superman. Oh, wait, that's not Superman. That's Bizarro. <laughs> the Superman symbol is backwards on this apron. <laughs> is it supposed to be? I don't know if it is or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, is it? But in this, in this particular solicit, the, uh, the symbol is backwards. <laughs> I mean, if it does, it does it look more jacked? No, it's not. Oh, so it is. It's just a backward Superman. Yeah, I think someone was playing around in their uh, with their PNG files, trying to arrange this particular solicit, and uh, didn't really notice that out of all these symbols, um, you probably should be very careful with the Superman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can flip all the designs basically, except for uh, except for Superman. Well, Flash. Because you get reverse flash that way, unless the the costume was yellow. Um, I'm pretty sure nobody cares about that though. <laughs> DC Comics Mini Wackly Wobbler uh, four piece set. Um, for twenty eight dollars, you can get the um, uh, four of the Wacky Wobblers. Uh, the The set features Superman, Batman, Joker, and Green Lantern. I don't know if I'd get them. Uh, is there still a Flash comic? Yeah, why? It's still coming out? Yeah, why? I'm just curious. It's one of their marquee characters. Of course there is. Mm. All right, so now we're uh, that's it for the Green Lantern-related stuff. 
Uh, now we're gonna hop into indie stuff, uh, and there's a lot to. Uh, there's a couple of different things I wanted to talk about, so I just wanted to burn through them. Uh, I'm pretty excited because I, uh, for a free comic book day, I picked up a sale uh, version of the um, Haunt Immortal Edition Book One hardcover from uh, Image, which is um, like a a good like the first twelve issues in like a slightly oversized hardcover of Haunt. The series from uh, from Image by uh, Robert Kirkham and uh, Joe Casey with art by Greg Capullo and Todd McFarlane and, and all this stuff. So uh, definitely, uh, if you're if you're into Haunt, the new Immortal Edition, uh, the second volume is coming out um, on January thirtieth. Thirty pages, thir- not thirty pages, three hundred and sixty pages for thirty bucks. It's Robert Kirkman, by the way. Kirkman, sorry, my bad. Uh, and because I'm a big Nexus fan, Nexus Omnibus Volume 2 trade paperback for 25 bucks, 424 pages, full color. Uh, and uh, by Mike, Mike, this is the second volume of the uh, series by Mike Barron and Steve Rude. Um, Nexus is amazing. Uh, so I don't even know if the I don't think the first Omnibus volume has released yet because I because for, I don't I don't have it right now. It's if it's not in my hands, I don't think it's out. <laughs> Uh, but this is released by Dark Horse, so um, this is an amazing series. You've heard a lot of different people talk about this. I'm sure if you've been a comic fan for a while, I'm sure you've heard of Nexus somewhere, and Mike Barron and Steve Root are just freaking amazing. Um, this, this collects uh, Nexus number 12 through number 25, uh, so definitely check that out. And for all of you fans, uh, again, of Image Comics, Revival Volume 1, You're Among Friends trade paperback. Um, this collects the image series uh, Revival by Tim Seeley and Mike Norton. Uh, it's out on December 12th, so Merry Christmas. Uh, 128 pages for twelve ninety nine, um, And this collects Revival 1 through 5 and the free comic book day short story that was uh, kind of you know teasing the series coming uh, before it was actually released. Uh, and Jim's, you've been reading Revival, right? You still, you still reading it? You still liking it? I read the first issue. I have issues two and three. I have not gotten to read them yet. Okay, but uh, yeah. So trade paperback, Revival Volume One. Check it out, December twelfth. And Marvel pick. Um, you guys know that I am a big fan of Thor. Um, one of the best Thor stories um, that I've read uh, is actually a Thor series that was made for kids. Uh, and I've mentioned it before, way back when, when the Larkley's report first started, when it was coming out. Thor the Mighty Avenger. Uh, it's a uh, eight-issue miniseries that got canceled way too early. Uh, with a free comic book day 2011 uh, issue featuring Captain America and Thor side-by-side. Uh, side. This is uh, currently available... If you can find the issues, great. But currently available in two separate volumes of trades, and that's that's all well and good. But I, because it's only eight issues, uh, well nine, including the free comic book day issue, I thought that there should be like a little a little uh, complete edition. Well, imagine my surprise and glee when I turned the pages in the Marvel previews to see that on sale in February of 2013. Thor the Mighty Avenger, the complete collection trade paperback is coming out. So all nine issues are going to be available in one book, 216 pages of Thor amazingness. 
um, for 25 bucks. Uh, this is a fantastic series that is totally okay for kids. So and get it for yourself. Get it for your kids. It's awesome. I, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, and I, and I, I cannot recommend it enough. It's, um, there's a, a couple at my local comic shop who has a, a kid that they're trying to get into comics. And they were trying to talk about things that, you know, trying to get ideas and while we're just sitting around bullshitting about comics. And I, you know, suggested a few things. The first thing I suggested was Thor the Mighty Avenger. And they're like, oh, that was the first thing we read him. And he loves it. Uh, so it's it's an amazing series. You guys have to pick it up. And now, uh, the Ridiculous Duo. Uh, not as ridiculous uh, as they usually are, but, you know, whatever. The first is, um, so you guys are probably aware that in December, the Hobbit movie releases, which is part one of three. Damn you, Peter Jackson. Um, but uh, the Hobbit movie releases, uh, it's going to be awesome, because uh, those movies always are. But in preparation for it, if you're the type who likes to dress up in, in any way, shape, or form for a movie release, be comfortable and wear the halfling slippers. <laughs> these are oversized plush slippers um, that look like hobbit feet <laughs> with tufts, tufts of tops and tufts of fur on the tops of the toes <laughs> one size fits most adult feet for $19 and the, slip, the solicit says perhaps you wish you could live in a hole in the ground perhaps you smoke pipe weed or maybe you eat second breakfast and 11 z's before lunch Perhaps you long for a simpler life, a smaller life. Perhaps you wish you were a halfling. Sadly, there's not much call for halflings in the modern world, but you, in your own sphere, you can channel your inner halfling with Think Geek's halfling slippers. <laughs> That's pretty freaking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Jim, you don't want halfling slippers, or your feet are just that naturally hairy? No comment. <laughs> Uh, and number two of the ridiculous duo for all you Star Trek fans. The bleeding edge of the 23rd century technology can be yours in the 21st century with the Star Trek door chime. <laughs> Straight from the San Francisco fleet yards where the Constitution class starships are built. This motion-sensitive door chime can be mounted on either side of a door and will alert you when someone crosses the threshold. <laughs> so for $30, you can get a Star Trek door chime. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Uh, if you're into Trek, Bob, but I'm not, so... <laughs> well, screw you, Chad, and the horse you rode in on. Why do you all think we wear ride horses? Have you ever ridden a horse? No, I haven't. <laughs> God, it's like... I don't even know, Chad. I don't even know. Have you ever ridden a horse? I've ridden on a pony. Did you? You grew up in? Did you grew up in New York State? Yeah. Have you ever mugged somebody? Uh. <laughs> no. No, no comment. comment. <laughs> uh, statute of limitations is a long run out by now, uh, or is it? <laughs> and this this one is running a little late uh, because. As I say this, I believe this item is already in stores. But it's just too awesome to pass up. So for my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the year. <laughs> you know what? 
this 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 item is worthy of pick of the year. So pick of the year. <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: The Complete Classic Series Collection. Oh. <laughs> This is the entire original cartoon series of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in DVD in 23 discs in a set. Now, does it come in a standard regular box set? No. With a... Of course not. No. Of course not. If you're going to haul that many discs, there's only one vehicle <laughs> that can haul that many discs. And no, I'm not talking about the Technodrome. You're talking about the Volkswagen Beetle. I'm talking about the van, baby. <laughs> the TMNT van. <laughs> These 23 discs, discs are housed in this awesome Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles plastic van. It's just so freaking cool. What was the name of that van? Um, like the, the turtle shell or the, the pizza mobile? I don't think they had a name for it. I'm pretty sure they did. Mm, I don't know, man. Let's see. Okay, but I'll read the solicit. Um, Cowabunga! Experience the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle saga in this totally tubular 23-disc set of the original animated featuring uh, series featuring all 10 seasons and one complete Cowabunga collection. From their origins on the comic book page to the depths of Dimension X and beyond... The pizza-loving, shell-busting Leonardo, Donatello, Raphael, and Michelangelo with the guidance of their sensei master Splinter have been delighting fans for decades with their turtle power. Whether it's facing fierce enemies, fierce enemies Krang, Shredder, and Lord Dreg, saving humanity from near extinction, or battling against life-altering mutations, the mutant half-shell heroes are always ready for heart-stopping, time-bending, straight-out-of-the-sewer action. And this uh, complete classic series collection can be yours for the low, low price of $99.98. How many many discs was that? 23. Which, you know, $100 isn't that bad for a classic uh, TV show. Ten seasons? Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, that is a good price. Um, Although I probably would have bought it if it was in the Technodrome. (laughs) Uh, i don't i don't like the technodrome the van is much cooler because i remember that was one of the first toys i remember having is the van i think the the van was either called the party van or the party wagon anyway uh, but yeah your your level of excitement for this item is uh less than less than uh ideal well okay for one thing i was trying to figure out what the name of the van was. That was just like, <laughs> I had to find that out. I had to check Google while you were talking. At which point, I kind of phased you out. So... Are you always on the computer when I'm talking? Yeah, but when I'm actually actively searching for things, I just... Actually, no. When you're talking most of the time, I just actively phase you out. <laughs> That's neither here nor there. Uh, no, I, I heard about this. I mean, the series was good. Um, actually, for 100 bucks. For a hundred bucks, I might want to pick that up for James. Yes, you do. <laughs> that was a fun series when I was watching it, so he probably would enjoy that too. I just I don't yeah. know how well that's going to hold up. You see the way it's uh, packaged? Yeah. Yeah. You got to be careful with it. No, I mean as far as hold up, as far as 
you know, the episodes after so many years. Oh, definitely. The kids. Like, you, you're, your son doesn't have uh, the time to be hip and cool and up on the newest things when he's that young. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, but am I going to be irritated by them? No, dude. Every time the theme song comes on, you're going to be like, yeah, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. No, because, like, every once in a while, because I have a couple of uh, seasons of He-Man or Thundercats, the classic stuff, and, like, that stuff, I cannot watch it anymore because it's, like, so slow and repetitive and everything like that. It's great for kids. I mean, it's fantastic for kids. In fact, I think the the TV series from back when I was growing up, like, since they are so much slower, they're fantastic for kids because, you know, they don't they don't completely deteriorate your attention span like a lot of the current stuff. Like, you know, a lot of the newer TV shows are, like, so fast and furious, you know, and constantly changing and jumping around from thing to thing. You know, that's that's not good for a kid's entertainment, you know, span. So, uh... Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, I'm definitely going to show him those old DVDs, but, you know, as far as me watching alongside of him... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, anyway, have you seen the, uh, the like, the, the new TMNT action figures? Um... No. I might have saw them at New York Comic Con. I don't know. Yeah, they've they've been making their way to the stores. You know, you have all the Ninja Turtles and you know a slightly new style. It's 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 nice. It's not bad. Uh, the one the one figure that I thought looked really cool was Metalhead. He's always been okay. you know a favorite of mine. Um, but I mean the, the paint job, like the paint job for the pictures is really cool. When you see it in person, it kind of it's kind of lackluster. I saw somebody did a custom for, I think, actionfigures.com. I think that was the site. Where they, they did, like, a metal finish to the whole, you know, the whole figure. So it actually looks like he's made out of, like, you know, metal. It's so cool looking. Like, if I had the time, I would absolutely do that. In fact, even though I don't have the time, I'm still tempted to try it. Very cool looking. But, yeah. So that's uh, that's all I got for the Larfleys report. Excellent. Thank God. Uh, anything else we need to talk about? Oh, do you want to do? You, since we're already doing a marathon episode, do you want <laughs> you want to do uh, just a couple of these uh, emails just to get them out of the way? No, no. We have we've, this is about a, like a two-hour episode, actually, slightly less with uh, me being called away to handle uh, James. But uh, yeah, no, we'll we'll definitely we'll call it an episode. Oh, the one thing I did want to point out is that. Oh, there's time for your stuff, but not for our listeners. Well, no, it's just two quick announcements. And th- these will, by the time this episode finally airs, they'll have been on the website for uh, a few weeks. But uh, Jason has started doing a blog for the website, um, Grice's Guide to Emotional Enlightenment, also known as G2E2. Mm. Um, yeah, so go check that out. You, you can uh, you can find it by clicking on the blogs link. Um I think at the moment his is the only one, but that'll be changing. And then coming very soon, which by the time this episode airs, it'll already be up. Uh, the product of the week uh, segment that uh, I used to do occasionally is now mm-hmm. going to be uh, handled by Mark Marble, you know, good friend of the show. So, yeah, Mark's really been tearing it up over on Facebook, giving us some posts. Yeah, too. 
Yeah, he's uh, he's up on that stuff a lot more than I am. So, um, figure if anybody is qualified to do product of the week, it's absolutely Mark. And I, I have his first uh, post. Um, I just gotta you know basically post it and add the images and everything. But it's good stuff. It's good stuff. It's gonna be good stuff each week. So definitely, definitely check those those things out. And uh, we'll be adding more stuff. So, by, again, by the time this episode airs, there's probably going to be even more. Uh, we're definitely we're making uh, we're doing a big focus on the website, adding a lot of cool stuff. Definitely worth checking out. <laughs> Alrighty, and uh, oh yeah, happy birthday! Oh yes, four years. Four years. Four years of the Lantern Cast. You know what? Let's go for four more. Four more years. Four more years. <laughs> uh, it's like we just won one re-election. Yeah, we won re-election by default. Yeah, because there's no there were no others running against us. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's just hope there's no term limits. <laughs> then nobody gets impeached. <laughs> So long, Chad. <laughs> uh, um, uh, and if you want to find Chad, he's over at. Uh, oh God, I just completely blanked. Core conjecture. Yeah, coreconjecture.blogspot.com. Yeah, there, there is that. Uh, coreconjecture.blogspot.com. Um, I just had a huge crossover. Um. So, and I mentioned it in the uh, Austin Comic Con uh, episode. Um, but, uh, anyways, uh, just in case you, you know, skip our interviews because you shouldn't, but, you know, just in case you're not in the interviews, whatever. Some people aren't. Um, coreconjecture.blogspot.com, huge crossover with 18 different superhero, uh, DC superhero comics blogs where we covered for Halloween a couple of awesome. Uh, ghosts annuals as well as a few other ghostly type stories for those of us who did not have ghost annuals to feature. And over on my particular entry, uh, I had, uh, you know what, Jim, you read it, so you tell me what what I had. Yeah, no, um, I'm always a little hesitant to read Chad's blog, mainly because, like, for the most part, I don't really care about reading blogs in general, um, which I do read yours anyway. I just, you know, I'm just not a big blog person. And, uh, you know, obviously now I'm going to be reading the ones that go up on the Lantern Cast. But, you know, that's because I want to. So I go and I I check out your blog and I'm like, okay, what do you do for this whole ghosts crossover thing? Whatever. And, And to start off with, it's a good blog post because it gives your views on the ghost annual that Dan and I covered, I guess, a couple of years ago now. So, yeah. yeah, so if you want Chad's perspective on that annual, definitely worth reading the blog. But that's not why I'm going to say it's a must-read. Because he also got, like, guest art to feature in the blog. He got a pinup from, uh, was it, Mike, uh, what's Mike's last Mike name? Gallagher. Gallagher. Yeah. Um, so he's got a cool pinup from Mike Gallagher, and then... <laughs> he has like an epic pinup from uh, Daryl Banks. So, but you know, like that—that that stuff's awesome. That's not why I'm going to send you to the website. 
the reason, but wait, there's more. Yeah, no, the reason that you should be checking out uh, the coreconjecture.blogspot.com is because Chad got an interview with it's Bernie Wrightson. Uh-huh. That's his name, yeah. Bernie Wrightson, yeah. and he did the covers for all of the Ghosts annual annuals. And uh, Bernie Wrightson is like a, a huge name in horror comics. Uh, he's he, like, if you if you read horror comics ever, you know who Bernie Wrightson is. He has he has a name. He has a legacy. And even though he only you know played a small part in this in this particular uh, crossover, um, I mean, the fact of the matter is, I mean, like, it's an awesome interview. It's really, it's a very good interview with a legend that, you know, he would, he's not really like, you know, he's so tangential to Green Lantern, we would never have him on the show, you know, but to go and read the blog about, you know, his involvement with Green Lantern is very cool. That's why I'm going to send people to go over to see coreconjecture.blogspot.com. Absolutely worth reading, and I, you know, I think I might have skimmed through one of the other um, blogs in the uh, in the crossover. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't really had the time to, you know, I don't really have the time to do much, much of that stuff. But I mean, it's a really, it's a cool idea, it's a cool concept. I wish you had posted it like at the beginning of October, mm-hmm. because you know, October is like basically the month of Halloween. And I think, I think that would have been, you know, uh, cooler for people to like go, go there throughout the month and check everything out. But, but even still, even though Halloween is over, it's still a great interview. It's still a great story. You know, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, yeah. And, and I, I know that typically we do this from time to time, but I want to take a moment and specifically uh, ask you guys who are listening, who are interested in checking out that crossover, um, you know, even if you're just interested in checking out mine, um, if you got time, visit the other blogs that are participating, uh, that participated with entries in that particular crossover. Uh, I, I put in a lot of work getting these guys to, you know, join up and I asked them to join. They were more than willing and each, each individual participant in the blog crossover really put in a lot of work and, um, I don't want to seem insensitive, so uh, please understand that that is, that is not my intention. But Superstorm Sandy um, basically hit at the same time as the blog did, uh, and the the the, the uh, you know the, the availability of people to read the blog as it came out was severely limited. Um, so the crossover, um, the blog crossovers usually garner a whole lot of attention for blogs, and this particular one because of the events happening. Uh, at the time, did not, um, and um, there are there are a lot. We I, I talked to some of the the participants in the blog about this, and they're like, you know what? That's not what we do it for. And it, it was an awesome. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for organizing this, Chad. And and I agree with them. That is not why we do it. It's not for attention. But as the guy who um, uh, organized and managed this whole crossover and, you know, really wanted to, you know, help these guys out and get some of the lesser known blogs some more attention. You want to see them get, you know, get the yes. hits and get, you know, I, you want to see them, I, you, you want people to be able to appreciate the love that these guys have for the other comics. Exactly. And, and, 
as as much as I would love you guys to go check out my entry and make comments on it and stuff so my blog gets more hits, you know, fuck it. Skip my blog. Just go there for the links and go find the other entries and go comment on their blogs because they, they'll see, a, you know, a page view is, is cool to see. But a comment on the blog is even cooler to see. And if, if, you're, if you like the content of the blog, following the blog is even better. So go check out those entries. You know, Comment on their posts if you have the time. Because I really want these guys to get the attention that they deserve for putting in the work that they did. And yeah, I've got exclusive art. You know, and then yeah, I've got an exclusive interview. But I only did that not to be the best. I did that because I'm the one who told these people what to do and how to... And, and organize the whole damn thing. I figured mine should be uh, up to the level, uh, it, it, try the best I can to to put in as much work as I could so I could be worthy of some of these other blogs. Um, and it's a cool entry, and I, I think you should comment on mine too, but you know what? Skip mine if you if, if you can only read one, and go read one of the others, please. It's just it's, it, was, it was a lot of work and a lot of fun, and I think uh, it deserves a lot of the attention that it, you know, it, it deserves the attention that it didn't get. Um, <laughs> it, so it, 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 wait, did I just did that come out right? Oh, just just end it, Chad. Let's go. <laughs> they they oh, know what and, we're saying. They know what we're talking about. Um, also, <laughs> if you are subscribing to blogs, then you can usually just type lanterncast.com into your your feed burner. And yeah. or your feed reader, and uh, it'll give you all the posts from the blogs that we post at the site. <laughs> um, if you want to send us an email, you can do so at lanterncast.gmail.com. I got the, na- Wait a sec. the natives. Uh, what? Wait a sec. I, I, I wasn't done. I know. I'm, I'm preempting you. I, I have another blog about Ragman. Oh, God. <laughs> Chad. The, the natives are getting restless. And you, you know what? Last thing, Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Come on, man. Yeah, they listen to that on this podcast. No, they don't. Just be, Some people don't list, download every episode, Jim Ford. Okay, now you see, you've made James cry. <laughs> oh, man. Chad. Okay, now you do the closing. <laughs> All right. Oh, Chad Bulkman making babies cry since forever. Um, <laughs> um, all right, so Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Wait, that's not what I was doing. <laughs> no. Um, uh, if you'd like to contact the show, lanterncast at gmail dot com. Uh, we all have our own individual email addresses at Jim, Dan, Chad, Jason, or James at lanterncast dot com. Uh, you can find us on iTunes. Just search for Green Lantern under podcasts. We'll be there. Uh, or just search for LanternCast. Subscribe. Um, if, if you take the time to subscribe, you like the show, and you have the time, leave us a review. Uh, that'd be awesome. We'd love to see that. Uh, and um, we're also available on um, Stitcher. Uh, and uh, if you listen to Stitcher through your phone or your, uh, your uh, General Motors vehicle or you know whatever has Stitcher on it nowadays, you can find us uh, on Stitcher there. Search for LanternCast as well. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, uh, so find us there. Just search for LanternCast and uh, like or follow us, respectively. Um, And we have a voicemail. uh, 708-LANTERN is the number, and we'll play some voicemails uh, maybe the next episode or two. We have already got a couple to to, uh, post up, so uh, leave us a voicemail if you can. And, um, yeah, that's it. 
coreconjecture.blogspot.com, the suit of souls.blogspot.com. <laughs> and uh, gonna, baby Jim Ford, close this baby out? Jim Ford at lanterncast.com. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> All right. He can't read That's it. Yet. Oh, he can't. <laughs> no, I haven't given him a password. Well, you know what we could do? We could just you could just hold up a mic to him when he starts crying once, and that can be our little uh, sound clip whenever we get an email we don't like. <laughs> or anytime Chad comes on the show. Ah, hey-oh. Uh, good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>